Well, good morning. All right, as always, it's great to see everyone here today. You know, on this day, churches across America take time to acknowledge both our fight for the sanctity of all human life as well as the equality of all people. You know, too often, I believe that the church is most known for what we stand against and unfortunately less known for what we stand for as believers. The Church of Jesus Christ believes that at every age, from the womb to the final breath, whether male or female, regardless of color, regardless of socioeconomical status, regardless of male or female, that each and every human is created with the image of God. This we believe, this we fight for, this we live for, and this Jesus Christ died for. Let's pray together this morning. Father, today as we consider the sanctity of, of all human life, from preborn to final breath, both young and aged, every nationality, every color, whether abled or disabled, every life is woven together in a mother's womb by you. Every life is in your image, and every life has a purpose. And may we fight for and live for life and equality of every life. In the name of Jesus, amen. We continue this morning in our study in Genesis, this new series we launched last week in the beginning. Today, we find ourselves in week two. Hopefully, you've picked up one of these uh, scripture notebooks. We've been giving them out for the past couple weeks. Uh, they, they may all be gone now. I don't know. But inside the, the covers, you have reading plans as well as uh, you can find them online also. Uh, but you'll be in week two beginning this week if you stay in uh, line with our reading plan. If you've gotten behind it, you can just jump on in and catch up very easily without a doubt, but I would encourage you to do so. Saying that, I will be in week, uh, I will be actually in chapter two today. As I mentioned last week, I'll kind of be behind you on this series. But what I want to remind you of Genesis really is, is the foundation of theology, or at least it should be the foundation uh, of your theology. And especially when you look at Genesis, the, the first 11 chapters uh, with, within this vital book, that we, we throw the word theology around a lot. It, it's just two words combined to make one, right? It's a compound word, theo, a theos for God, and logos, we get logic, uh, is from the word or for the word reason, right? And so what we have is the knowledge that we have of God, the person of God, the nature of God, and our relationship with God based on the word of God. So that's what our theology is, and certainly Genesis is the foundation, or foundational building block of that theology. And I mentioned before, it is certainly at the core of my theology, and I believe it should be for everyone. In fact, what, what too many people, I believe, want to do today is they want to develop, if you will, a Christian worldview, but they want to begin in the New Testament in doing that, and just throwing out the Genesis account altogether. And I want to warn you on that and warn those who would. Not only is that a weak theology, certainly the, the picture that you would have of, Jesus, uh, of God, of an almighty God, but it's far beyond weak. And in fact, it's 
often incorrect, and can even lead to heresy. So it's vital for us. And today what I want us to do is we look at chapter 2. I want us to see four creations that are uh, detailed in this single chapter of Genesis. So with that said, open your Bibles or you can open the app or open the Scripture notebook that we gave to you. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. Moses writes, So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that, all, uh, that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. For on it, he rested from all his work of creation. Now, you may recall last week, going through chapter 1, we went through the first six days uh, of creation. Those six, what I believe to be 24-hour days of, of creation. They were completed then, and now we find ourselves here in chapter 2 on the seventh day. And it's on the seventh day then that it says, God rested. Here we have not only the seven-day week that we know today being established and created, uh, but also this day of rest was created also. Now, what's important for you to understand, God rested, it says, from his work, from all the work of creation. God didn't rest because he was tired. God rested because he was finished. Do you hear me? Uh, it, it was not an arduous process for God that just wore him slap out and he had to take a nap on the seventh day. But because of the work that he did, it was fully complete. Remember, we said that when God created, he created last week in a complete state, right? When, when he said it is created, it, he also said it is good. It is complete. It is finished. So God rested because the work was completed. And so our Sabbath day of rest that we have today uh, in Jesus is not uh, because uh, of anything other than the fact that Jesus finished our work for salvation on the cross. So when he went to the cross for us to be our atonement and his hands were stretched out, his, his body was pierced, he breathed his last, and he cried out, It is finished. And so our work for salvation was completed by Christ. Now, the word here in the Old Testament, uh, in Genesis, that's used for rest is the word Shabbat. And it simply means to cease or to stop. That God was finished. The work was ceased. It was done. And with that said, let's keep reading on this morning. Picking up in verse 4. These are the records then of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At the time that God, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. But mist would come up from the earth and water all, water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being." Here now, Moses begins a, uh, this, this new narrative of creation, if you will. He had already spoken into that in chapter 1, but, but, but now he gives these details within those first six days of creation. He begins highlighting there in the first two days before there was vegetation even on the earth. And we also see where he kind of points out that there were certain plants uh, that God had created that required cultivation from man. Uh, they were not yet there because man had not yet been created, right? Just so, like today, there are different kinds of plants. Uh, for some of you horticulturalists, right, you, there are annuals and there are perennials, right? 
annuals, you have to plant them each year, right? Because when, when their season's over, they're done. They will not come back. Perennials come back every year. For, for anybody who's uh, had the arduous task of trying to create a lawn, right, in the summertime of Murfreesboro, right, you understand that there are certain plants that they just pop right up, right? You don't have to do anything to your yard. You'll get some plants, right? You just won't get what you want, right? But if you want fescue in that yard, Hey, you, you got to sow it. You got you got to work it. You got to go out there. You got you got to put it in the ground. You got to kill out the other stuff so it'll have a chance to grow up. Right? You've got to put some effort in if that's what you want. Why? Because uh, it doesn't just naturally come up. Right? It, it won't replenish itself. Now, there's there's an old saying: you have to weed the garden if you want the groceries. Amen. Right? There, there, there's some work to be done, and so he he speaks into that. And then in verse seven, then once again he speaks into the creation. Of man, now there's a term that's often used uh, that, that references this, and I'm not really sure to be honest with you. I don't know if it's from a, a Latin derivative or where it comes from, but it, it's a difficult word. Shurnuf, shurnuf, shurnuf. Can you say it? Shurnuf, shurnuf. Right there, there's no vowel there actually between them, um, and so that word is it references if God says something once in Scripture, you should pay attention to it. Right? You should take heed to what His Word says. If he repeats himself in Scripture, you sure enough ought to pay attention to what he's saying, right? Uh, it, may, it may not be Latin at all. It may just be a Southern thing, right? But, uh, but, but nonetheless, certainly that, that's what we see here. God it repeating himself and giving us these details then in the creation of man. Now, I mentioned last week that Genesis 1-1 uh, is a foundational verse. It's the first verse in Scripture. And it's a foundational verse to not only your theology, which you understand and believe about God, but also for you to understand the Bible in its entirety. Well, as much as Genesis 1-1 is foundational, Genesis 2-7 was transformational for me uh, as a believer. It, it really was. When, when I read it as a believer, though I had heard it certainly before, but when I read it for the first time as a believer and then asked myself that question, do I believe what Genesis 2-7 says? And when I came to not only uh, an understanding but a realization of the truth of 2-7, everything else changed for me. My understanding of God, my understanding of His power, it all changed. Look, look at verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of, his, of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. I mean, it, it, it's in this verse we see the, the omnipotent power of God but also the intimacy that we have with God. I want you to notice there, it says, the Lord God. Now, up to this point, remember in creation when it began in verse 1, God created, right? In the beginning, God created. It was just that single word for God. And I said that word was, if you remember, Elohim, right? Which is a, a plural form. So in the beginning, we saw that plurality of God in all of creation, but now as he talks about the, 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 the creation of man, and when he talks about that relationship we have, we, we have this new word. It's not just God Elohim, but it is the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, right? Yahweh then speaks to the relationship that God has uniquely with mankind. And in fact, you'll, you'll see that played out, that, that uh, uh, Yahweh Elohim, more than 6,000 times through the rest of the New Testament. We're introduced to it here in verse 4 when it begins that introduction of God's relationship with man. And so we see that special union that God has, different from all the other creation. I mean, it says the, the Lord God formed the man. 
And I love that because it gives us that picture, not just speaking something into existence, but, but taking time, uh, forming it, to, to, to working. And you, you, can just, you can just see that intimate picture of God fashioning it and creating man like a potter would do with clay. Job, and I'll paraphrase here, but Job said it this way in, in chapter 10. He said, your, your hands shaped me and, and they formed me. You formed me just like clay. You clothed me with skin and with flesh and wove me together with, with bones and with tendons. I mean, Job really had a good grasp of that, that, that intimate picture about how God was involved in the creation of man. And what we know even today, listen, anything made by hand is always more valuable, isn't it? I mean, you, you go out and buy something. If it's mass-produced, it's at this price. If it's a one-of-a-kind made by hand, it's at this price, isn't it? Something made by hand always has more value to it. I have a, a bowl on my desk uh, in my office that I've, I've had for a long time now, since Vacation Bible School of 2006 here at Northside. And it's a bowl that, uh, truth is, if I were to put this in a yard sale, I wouldn't get a nickel for it. I wouldn't, right? Probably couldn't give it away today, right? But you know, to me, this bowl's priceless. My son, Baylor, made this at Vacation Bible School here at the church. And if you look real close to it, you, you can see kind of where his, his little, little tiny fingers, his thumbs would, would kind of push it into place as, as he made this bowl. And so, though it may not have any value to anyone else, because I know the one who made it, it's priceless to me. I, I see his little fingerprints right in here. You know what Moses reminds us of? That's what we are to God. You know, friends, maybe, maybe you don't think very highly of yourself. Uh, maybe other people don't think very highly of you. But to God, to God, you're a one of a kind. To God, you are hand-created. Friends, we carry the image of God, which means his fingerprints are all over us. That's who we are to God. He is, we, we, we are priceless to him. We are, we're his creation. He formed us, he made us, he called us, and he equips us. I love what Paul said in Ephesians 2.10. He said, for, for we are his workmanship, right? He created us in Christ Jesus for good works. We are, we, we are his workmanship. We are a product of God's love and effort. This is the Lord God, and he, he formed the man, but he formed him out of the dust of the ground. Now, when you look at that verse there in that text, the word there for formed man, the word for man is Adam. Adam, right? It's where we get the word Adam today, right? It is Adam. But when you look at the word for ground, that word is Adamah in the Hebrew, right? So the word for man, the word from ground are from the exact same root, Adam and Adamah. Right? Because man came from ground. So with the Hebrew, that's the, exactly how they would read that, that they were one of the same. In fact, if you fast forward into chapter 5 and verse 2 of Genesis, it says this, He created them male and female. When they were created, He blessed them and called them, listen church, man. Now, the CSB takes that and actually interprets that, uh, that Hebrew word there, as mankind, which is a great statement for what that is. What he says is he, he, created, he created man, he created woman, and called them man together. That same word, Adam, 
Right? That, that's the way that God views, whether, whether male or female. It's so what we see from the very beginning. God only made one race. The human race. That was it. That, 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 was, that was all of God's creation right there. Adamah from, or Adam from Adamah. Right? Man from ground. And man was both male and female. Now, there are different groups today. There are different cultures. Uh, all from the Tower of Battle, Babel, we even have different shades of man. We're going to get into that in our, in our future study. But God created man. Period. And by the way, uh, it's something interesting to point out. When it talks about the dust of the ground, I don't think that's just by happenstance. In, in fact, dust in that region, right, the Mediterranean region, dust was not white, folks. You hear me? It sure wasn't white. In fact, the word there for dust, the, the, the word is Adam. Interesting. Same root word. Adam for man, Adamah for ground, and the dust that they're referring to, the word is Adam. That word is also translated in the New Testament as red, ruddy, or earth tone. Right? Uh, interesting, right? God made man. He made mankind. I mean, there is only one race, the human race. Another little thing to point out the kids like to, like to do all the time uh, is, is the fact, yes, because of Adam and Eve's special creation, they did not go through the natural birthing process. Likely they had no belly buttons. Right? No, no navels on the first one. That's, that's just a side note, right? Uh, but what we read in, in, in the Old Testament, what I, what I love about it, as we read about the creation account in the Old Testament, the New Testament writers confirmed that. Right? Paul agreed with this account in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said this in verse 47, The first man was from the earth. He was a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have, we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also now bear the image of the man of heaven. God created man, and he created us with his own image. It says then after that, after he, he, had, he had created him, he had shaped him, he had formed him, it says then he breathes life into him. You know, God spoke so much into creation. But he formed the man. We have this, this, this beautiful image of God working with that dust of the ground to create mankind. And then when he was finished, it says that, that, that he took what he had created and breathed. That, just that, that intimate picture of him, him taking up man and, and breathing into those nostrils. Life. And not only life, but, but soul and, and spirit into mankind. A Hebrew word there for, for, for breath, uh, nishama. Right? If, you, if you look at it, it's interchangeably used in, in the Old Testament for both breath and for spirit. That same word then, when it translates into the Quane Greek of the New Testament, the word is pneuma. Right? It's where we would get a word, our word, the root word for pneumonia. Right? Like when you, when you can't breathe or you have lung issues. It's also where you get the word pneumatic. Like for a, a tool that is powered by air. It is a pneumatic tool. And that's exactly what it is. God breathed breath and life into us, but he also breathed power and spirit into man at that time. You say, well, Pastor, why is all this so important? Why do you get so jacked up about Genesis, right? Because, friends, the world, 
The world has a whole different model they want to teach you, they want to teach our kids, right? For, for the world, you know, from, uh, from goo to you by way of the zoo, right? right? From this little amoeba pool, that got struck by lightning, a frog turns into, you know, whatever, right? That's what the world wants to teach you. But look what God's Word says. You are a one-of-a-kind, handmade creation that bears His image. And friends, let me tell you something else. This is why it's so transformational for me. If God can take a handful of dust and make a living being, as great as our science is today, we can't do that. Only God can. And if He's able to do that, what is it that's in your life that's too big for Him? A God that can take dust and make man... What is it you're afraid to give to him? What is it you think is too big for him? What is it that you think he can't forgive or can't do in your life? This is why I have no issues with, with an art. Because I know how big my God is. He took dust and made a man. He can get the animals in an ark. He can do it in a thimble. Because he's God. I have no issues with, with seas parting. I have no issues with Jesus being resurrected. That's how big my God is. I always when I get to this passage... And I think I've shared this years and years ago, but I'm always reminded of a, of a poem that I found. And it's and when it talks about evolution and, and what the world wants to say to you today, it's a different perspective in this poem because it's from the monkey's point of view. It says this, three monkeys sat in a coconut tree discussing things as they are said to be. Said one to the others, now listen, you two, there's a rumor going around that just can't be true. The man, that man actually descended from our noble race. Why, the very idea is an absolute disgrace. No monkey ever deserted his wife, starved her babies, and ruined her life. And you've never known a mother monk to leave her up babies with others to bunk. And another thing you'll never see, a monk built a fence round a coconut tree and let coconuts just go to waste, forbidding all other monks to have a taste. Why, if I put a fence around a tree, starvation would force you to steal from me. Here's another thing a monkey won't do. Go out at night and get on a stew. Or use a gun or club or knife to take some other monkey's life. Now, I don't know if man descended the ordinary cuss, but brother, he certainly did not descend from us. <laughs> uh, you know, the monkey's got a perspective too, don't they? Let's keep reading. Verse 15 then. Moses continues, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work. To work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any of the tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each one to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a, a deep sleep to cover over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds, unites, cleaves with his wife, 
and they then become one flesh. Well, we, here we see the, the, the final two creations, the, the creation of woman and the creation of marriage. Now, what I want you to see, first of all, in verse 15 right there, work was not first introduced at the fall of man. Right? It changed at the fall of man, and we're going to get into that uh, uh, next week even. Right? But it was there from the beginning. Friends, man was created to work. Let me say it again. Man was created to work. When does man get in trouble? When man gets lazy. Show me a man that don't work. I'm going to tell you a guy who, who's struggling with some sins, some temptations, whose health is going downhill. Right? Why? Because we were created to work. It's the identity we have. It's the, what God created us to do. Now, I really want to camp there, I'll be honest with you, because I don't think today people get the idea that we're created to work. I think people we were created to sit. Created to, to get, not to give, right? Not in my notes. Right, we'll come back to that. We're also going to look at verses 16 and 17 in greater detail next week. But I do want to point this out. I want you to notice here, this is a real uh, theological fact here. Verse 16 comes before verse 17. You see that? Why do I say that? Liberty, freedom, blessing, all that came first. God said, you can have it all. It's all here for you. Just stay away from this one tree, right? Liberation, not limitation from God. Too many people, that's what they say. Well, I don't want to be a believer because all the stuff I can't, all the limitations. God is a God of, of liberation. He said, man and woman, you, you can have it all. Just, just stay away from that one thing. Parents, we do the same thing with our kids, don't we? We, we put some limitations there, but tons of liberation. Hey, go out, play in the backyard. Just don't cross the street. Why? Because you don't want them to get hit by a car. We put those limitations because of our love for them. Uh, the other thing is, too, there weren't ten commandments then. That joker only had one. <laughs> just one. God said, just, just don't do this. And notice the, the command was given to the man. And it was expected that he would then share that with his wife and exercise the leadership that God had given him. Instead, he punks out and lets her be the guinea pig, right? We'll, we'll get into that next week. Verse 18, here's where, here's where I want us to stay. Verse 18, up till now, right up to this point, up till verse 18, God said everything was good. Did you notice that in chapter 1? Everything was good. Let there be light. It was good. Uh, earth and seas, it was good. Plants and trees, and it was good. Day and night, and it was good. Living creatures, and it was good. He created even man. God finished with all of creation, and then after that, he even said it is very Good. That's how we closed out chapter 1 in, in, in verse uh, 31 there. But now we get to verse 18 here of chapter 2. And here we're told God says, it's not good. It is not good for man to be alone. He said, well, did God make a mistake? Did God go through all this? Oh, it's so good, it's so good. Oops. Mm. Missed one there, right? Is that what he's saying? Not at all. No, what he's doing, he's revealing a truth to Adam. You see, he had taken him through that process purposely. I want you to see every animal, every creation. You're going to name them. You're going to get to know each one of them. And what I want you to see is none of them are suitable for you. He wanted him to understand that, that God had a special plan and a special design. And it wouldn't be a, a labradoodle to be his helper, right? Not even another man. But that was a role that only a woman could fulfill. And friends, this is God's design. And this is his gift to man. 
right? Listen, you, you, you can have a lot of relationships, but you can't have deep, meaningful conversations with a dog. Right? You, you, you can't do that. You, you can't go there. And God knows that that spiritual connection, that that's what man needs, right? Now, I'd heard a, a story of a man. He had kind of gotten convicted about this. He was wanting to have some deep, meaningful conversations with his wife. And so they began to talk about things. Man, how much I love you. and We're going to be together forever. And he said, but I tell you what, I want you to know, if I ever get in a vegetative place, I, I want you to unplug the machine. She simply looked at him, nodded, got up, went over and unplugged the TV, right? Um, <laughs> because that's, that's, that's where he was. I mean, you can't have that deep meaningful. You can have a conversation like that with a dog, right? You, you couldn't go there or any other creation. I heard another story about, about a woman. She won't have a deep meaningful conversation with her husband, right? And that's a little harder task to do sometimes. So one morning they're having their coffee and she says, you know, uh, let me ask you a question. I want us to be together forever, but, but if I were to die first, if I were to go early, would you remarry? He says, baby, I don't want to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just not going to do it. He gets up and leaves. Well, a little bit later, she caught him in the living room watching TV. You know, hey, babe, seriously, if I were to die first, would you? I, I told you, I don't want to talk. All day this goes on, right? Finally, they get in bed, and she's got him captive at that point, right? She rolls over and says, honey, please, let's have this deep, meaningful conversation that God created us to do, right? She said, hey, if I were to die, would you remarry? He said, okay, fine. Yes, I will, I'll remarry. You will? Yes, I will. Well, well, would you sell the house? He said, no, of course not. I'm not going to sell the house. Well, well, honey, would you sell our bed? He said, that's absurd. Why would I sell the bed? No, I'm not going to sell the bed. She says, well, baby, please tell me you won't let her touch my golf clubs. He said, of course not. She's left-handed. Oh, wait. Uh, <laughs> um, those deep, meaningful, you can't have that with a dog, right? Um, now, what do we see from this? The first bad thing recorded in Scripture. We think of the fall, don't we? The first thing that was not good was the fact that woman wasn't on the scene yet. You see that? Which speaks volumes about God's design. And then notice what he says when, when he talks about no suitable helper, suitable, only woman. Only woman carried the imago day that, that, that man would carry. Only a woman would be suitable for the man. And that word helper there, Eve, understand this, was his complement. Not with an I, but with an E. That, that together, then they would complete one another. They would complete God's design. It is a complementarian relationship that, 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 that we, uh, that is our church polity as well. There are certain things that, that men are called to do within the church. There are certain things that women are called to do. But we work together in a complementary way to carry out the gospel of Jesus Christ together. Men and women are created equal. Both have in the image of God. And both sins were equally atoned for by Christ. Period. Equally. They are therefore equal in dignity, value, and worth before a holy God. However, we are given unique gifts. We are giving special callings as together we carry out the Great Commission. And friends, it just simply comes down to trusting God's design. That's it. People that struggle with this, the issue is their struggle is God's design. Now, now I also want you to see this. God didn't give man a slave, did he? He didn't give him a labradoodle, right? He gave him 
A helper. Who do you ask to help you with something? Someone that can do what you obviously can't do by yourself. Right? You need someone that's got a different skill set, a better skill set, so you can complete a task. Or it's a two-person job. Right? That's what that's a picture of. That together, they make a more complete picture of who Christ is, of God's design for man and in marriage. And they can accomplish what He desires for them together. In essence, God looked down and he said, that boy needs help. <laughs> and made a woman to do just that. And I want you to see this too. Notice, God created a woman from the side of man. I love that. He didn't take a bone out of his head, you know, that she would be above the man, as a feminist might think, or, or from his foot, that she would be below or beneath the man, like a chauvinist might think. But instead, from, from his rib, side by side. That's what the Bible teaches that's what the Bible says. Well, let's keep reading verse chapter... Uh, if you, actually, if you go back, Genesis chapter 1, looking at verse 26. If we go back into creation, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. Now, notice what he says. They, right? Because Adam talks to, to mankind. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock and the whole earth and the creatures that crawl along. They together will equally rule over all that. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. I love what Peter Kraft says. He says, you know, women really are superior to men at being a woman. And men really are superior to women at being a man. It's simply how God designed us to be. Equal in value, distinct in design. Now, this is also why when we see from the very beginning that opposites attract when dating, right? Uh, typically, the person that you, that you ended up married or that you're dating right now, they're probably a little different than you, right? Opposites attract. Now, be warned, opposites attract in dating, opposites attack in marriage, Right? Marifel, you, you know that's true, don't you? I like when you're dating, it's, well, he's just so mysterious. I just love that about him. He's so mysterious. And when you're married, a joker's hiding something. All right? When you're dating, she just always looks so beautiful. I just I love the way she dresses. When you're married, she spends everything we got on her wardrobe. Right? Always talking about where malls are and stuff in coordination to where she lives. You know, that, that kind of thing, Right? It changes. I'm teasing. It's very, very different. But notice Adam sees what God had created for him for the first time. And I love this. God, he wakes up from that sleep, and there's this picture that God said, Now, here is what I'm giving to you. And look what he says. Whoa, man. Right? Huh? I, that's actually in second opinions, I think, not, not, not necessarily Genesis. But, um, but, but uh, this is woman for me. And, and you know, he was like, oh my, what a gift. Verse 24, then it says, then from that moment, man is now to, to leave mother and father, to, to cleave, be united with his wife. We see the, the creation of marriage. And the two shall now become one. That, again, that idea of complementarianism, that, that together, they are better together. They are a more complete picture of the one who Christ is. Now, let me also show this out of this text because I, I live by this, especially in these days. What do we see? Hey, listen, ladies, the boy needs to be independent and responsible. Adam was, right? Boys, get off the couch, right? Go get you 
a job, right? Hey, and let me say this too. Men, to lead mama and dad is to lead your wife spiritually. You leave the spiritual leadership of mom and dad and you take the responsibility of leading your spouse. That, that's how God designed marriage to be. I say, all, ladies, he needs to be able to stand on his own two feet before he can sweep you off yours. You hear me? Boy needs a job, right? If he isn't taking care of his own needs, he won't take care of yours. If he ain't doing it for himself, he, he ain't going to do it for you. I let Tony Evans, I remember hearing this years ago, he said this, ladies, here's what you tell him. If you want to be with me, you better get a J-O-B. Only Tony Evans can say that with any meaning, right? This is, this is beautiful. But uh, how would I say it? No finance, no romance, right? Hey, get a job. That's what we see. Look, 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 look. Adam had a job. Adam had a place to live. And Adam had a relationship with God. He was ready for marriage. Right? I'm going to tell you what, before a joker knocks on, they better have all three of them boxes checked before they ask, right? Absolutely. He was ready. He was ready for it. You know, a lot of people today think, well, if I just get married, it'll fix everything. <laughs> Will it fix it? Will it complicate it? Right? If you can't handle money single, boy, when you get married, it's going to be a train wreck, right? It's just the truth. We know that. And so we need to be at a place where people always say, I just, I want a wife or I want a husband. You need to be at a place to say, I want to be a wife. I want to be a husband. I want to give 100%. Did you know verse 24 is quoted uh, at least five times in Scripture? Jesus quoted it in all three synoptic Gospels. That's why, because this is God's design. This is the way He created us. It does not mean that a woman is necessarily in, incomplete without a spouse or a man without a wife. Let, let me say that. It doesn't mean that you can't com be complete without a spouse. Paul spoke into that. He said, listen, I, I want to speak directly to the widows, the widowers, and those who are single. He said, just as I am. He said, there, there is a special calling for you to have an undivided heart to give to God. It doesn't mean you need the opposite sex in order to be complete. In fact, many people on the journey just to find that spouse will go off the rails and find themselves way outside of God's will for their life. But friends, when it comes to marriage, God alone has designed it and God alone can define it. You hear me? Period. On November 29th, the Senate voted in favor of a final passage of what often is referred to as the Disrespect for Marriage Act, where they want to redefine marriage in federal law. Only God defines marriage. He created it. He alone can define it. This is, this is why, by God's design, a single male and a single female will leave mother and father, cleave to one another, and become one. And that then allows for the only natural process of procreation, period. Now, two days, two weeks now, what I have shared is from God's holy word. You live in a world today where the Bible is countercultural, And so has everyone else since the Bible's been written. It always has been. It always will be. It's countercultural, right? It's not what is being 
talk publicly, locally. It's not what you see in the media. And by the way, can I say this too? The media is not reflecting society. It's seeking to shape society. Do you hear me? It's not, this is what is the norm, and we're showing that. It's, we're trying to create this to be the norm. You hear me? It comes down to this. Friends, do you trust God? The creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who created even you, do you trust him? And do you trust his design? Let's pray. Father. God, we, we always open, we, we say we love you. And how simple is that to say? And as we look to the Genesis account, God, we see how much you loved us over all other creation and how you carry that throughout all the narrative of all of Scripture to give even your Son for our sins. God, we thank you that we are wonderfully made. We thank you that we bear your image. God, may we desire to image you in a beautiful way to this world. If there's anyone here today who, who has not received Jesus as their Savior, I pray today, today would be the day that they respond to your calling. And for all of us, God, that we would see to share and show your good news to everyone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand.